time to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. So we're here today with Dr. Richard Stopford, and the topic is what is philosophy. I'm hoping for a really interesting conversation. So this is a bit of a weird way to start the podcast, but I was in the shower this morning and as I often do, uh, reading the back of my shampoo bottle and it said on it, professional, affordable, exceptional. This is our philosophy. Do you think, do you think that's a misuse of the term in your opinion? Um, no, um, that's a very good question actually. A good way to start off. By the way, thanks for having me. No problem. I mean, uh, one thing that I would say is because um, I, I have quite a pragmatist approach to semantics. Um, mm. As long as something's a, a good use, uh, uh, you know, it is indeed a use of the term, mm. then it counts as it, it counts as an appropriate mm. way People to use understand the term. what yeah, the word yeah, means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly intelligible. It's certainly um, a kind of common use of the term. I mean, obviously. You know, the thing with it, so, you know, obviously philosophy can be, you know, it can be a noun, it can be uh, to do philosophy. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, there's very different ways that we can kind of intake the word. And that's just one way. Obviously, that's kind of mar- being co-opted in a kind of a sloganeering kind yeah. of marketing kind of way. But it's the idea like of, of somebody having an ethos, having a mission in a company term, having a mission statement or something like that. Mm. Um and presumably you can unpack that to sets of principles and maybe you could say that that, that is something like a systematic um, form of philosophy which is going to be more similar to what you might think of mm. as like a professional, professionally produced system of philosophy. Mm. But Does that apply as well when people say yeah, I've got a philosophy when it comes to diet or this is my life philosophy? It's still kind of... Yeah, acceptable. okay, so I mean... Personally... Uh, so, I mean, I, I suppose I should say that most of what I'm going to say is how I see philosophy mm, and how I see things. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to say that um, either that anything that I would say about this is definitive or speaks for other philosophers or uh, indeed other people when they're thinking about what philosophy is. I mean, certainly I think that, you know, um, philosoph- anybody can be a philosopher and and I think people are, I mean, I think it's been said, I think Peirce said this, that um, people are natural philosophers. Mm. Um, and what does that mean? Well, it means that they're, they're reflective beings. They reflect on their own, their own practices, practices broadly construed. And mm. um, so, I mean, obviously, there's, there's thi- that, that doesn't count all thinking. There's thinking that's just, you know, I don't know, the thinking that's involved in cooking. Doing, doing an activity, let's say. Yeah. But we reflect on our thinking, we reflect on our practices, and as far as we do that, we're doing something like a f- philosophy broadly construed, mm. I think. Um, and I think that's important because one of the things that really interests me then is, I mean, we, we can ask the question from an ahistorical point of view with the kind of thought that we can nail an ahistorical answer or, or an answer that's not going to be indexed in some way to socio-cultural historical mm. phenomena. Yeah. I personally, I mean, I certainly would imagine that some people who call themselves philosophers would think that's the, the right form of the question and that that's the sort of answer that we should expect. Personally, I don't think that. And I think that um, 
what makes me say that, linking back to what I was just talking about, is I think that it's... Um, I think the fact that people are philosophers in some broad way um, is quite important culturally at the moment um, because there's a wrangle yeah. over, over knowledge-making practices. There's a wrangle over... Over kind of like intellectual capital. Um, what do you mean by knowledge-making practices? Okay, so um, obviously one of the big kind of public intellectual discussions that's going on at the moment is kind of science versus mm. <laughs> in terms of your kind of Hawking, uh, Dawkins, kind of um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, people such as these. Yeah. And they, they, have a, they have a view about science and they have a view about science vis-a-vis -vis knowledge um, and do you think that philosophy should always be a secular discipline? Do you think that um, it's necessarily non-religious? Well, look. Th th well, this is part. Of, this is an important point in terms of again how we see philosophy. I think philosophy as a professionalized. Pro so there's philosophy in the way that we were just talking about it, which mm. is you know this kind of um, like very egalitarian. Mm -hmm. activity and just in terms of people's thinking practices and then there's something like philosophy as a professionalized practice or a practice that involves particular kinds of expertise mm. um, these are two distinct things uh, well they certainly can come together but then they don't for me they don't co-vary and they don't they're not the same thing mm -hmm. they're not the, yeah they're not the same thing um so people that are philosophers in the first sense, need not, they needn't be philosophers in the second sense. But insofar okay. as they're not philosophers in the second sense, it doesn't follow they're not philosophers at I all. I see, got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing is that, like, yeah, whether, so the relationship between philosophy and religion is going mm. to be... And in there, when I'm talking about philosophy in kind of some sort of professionalised sense... Mm. I mean, this is going to be a socio-historical and cultural issue for me, mm -hmm. to some degree. I don't think that that's something that I can say outside of history and say what philosophy ought to be ahistorically. Um, you know, it's uh, I'm not an historian of philosophy, and mm -hmm. I'm not a historian more generally. And, and in actual fact, I should say this, I was thinking about this um, as I was just kind of putting some thoughts in my head together about this mm. stuff that I wanted to say. I think that trying to answer this question, what is philosophy? I think it would be hubristic of philosophers to think that they are the only what does that people. Mean? So what I mean is that um, it would be a kind of intellectual arrogance. Okay. And mm. to think that that's a question just for philosophers mm. and maybe more particular. I mean, they probably don't think that. They probably think that it's of general interest. But what I mean is that um, that it's only really philosophers that should be allowed and are able mm. to have some sort of input. You know, Do you think that, that answer discussion? might be... I've certainly found that sort of response frustrating for me because I'm doing Freshers' Week preparation mm. stuff at the moment. Lots of people go around and say, what subjects are you doing? Yeah. And if someone says computer science yeah. and they say, oh, what's computer science? It's very easy to yeah. put some sort of answer together. Mm. But when you're going around and you've only just started doing philosophy and mm. someone asks what it is, mm. it can be quite difficult then to, to say, oh, well, it's it's difficult to answer that question. Mm. And then obviously people are like, oh, well, that's such a, that's yeah, a very wishy, philosophical wishy, response. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think that people have this idea that philosophy has this sense of mysticism about it. Mm. And um, I don't know, I think... 
perhaps not having a good answer to the question what is philosophy can be quite difficult for people studying it. Yeah, I remember um, I was teaching uh, Knowledge and Reality, which is one of our first year courses, we were introducing kind of issues of epistemology. Um, <laughs> one of the students... Um, we, one of the students was got got kind of annoyed, and they were just like, "Why, why do we as philosophers just have to spend so much time worrying about whether we're allowed to do what, what mm. we, when worrying about what we're doing and worrying whether we we should be doing it?" Um, yeah. But unfortunately, I think that in what that's a double edged sword because I think that on the one hand you go, "Yeah, okay, so it, philosophy is its own question." Mm. Um, and and that's kind of continually destabilizing. But the thing is that what I wanted to say is that I. I Two things. One, you can just, as a very quick point, I think that that means that philosophy isn't going away because the only thing that could even try and kill philosophy is philosophy. Mm. So, I mean, there's, it's when it were someone to say, for example, oh, philosophy's dead, mm. I'm like, go on then. Yeah, <laughs> like, show me how. yeah, and I'd be very curious to see you try and pull that off without something that couldn't. That, that isn't going to be reasonably called philosophy. Mm. It sounds like performative contradiction. Yeah. But I think that why shouldn't philosophy... I mean, yes, maybe it's not very satisfying in a world... I don't know. Maybe it's not very satisfying if you think that uh, think answers should be nicely prepared. But I think mm. that... Um, I think that it's it's good to see that um, it's, it's a shifting target in some sense. But that doesn't mean it's not unanswerable. It doesn't mean also that you can't have multiple answers or that the answers aren't mm. going to change. And it's just, suck it up. It's, it's yeah. a complex yeah. um, endeavour. Do you and personally have a sort of stock response if you go to a pub and you meet someone and they ask you the question? No. No. No, I, I much prefer to just rather than and say, I'd probably be more inclined to say, well, what do you, when you hear mm. somebody say, what do you think when... Let's start with that. What do you think when I say I, I do philosophy? And then, you know, we'll just start from there. We'll just have a chat. Yeah. Like, um, so, uh, yeah, well, hang on, where, where were we? <laughs> so much kind of already on the table. I mean, yeah. so going back to the secular point, um, I think what I want to say is that, yeah, well, I, I don't think that you can say ahistorically what it ought or ought not to be, rather that uh, particular forms... Of, of philosophy and how philosophy self understands and the sort of domain of inquiry that it thinks that are appropriate to itself as a discipline that are maybe even if not completely distinctive they have that philosophers have some kind of distinctive take on hmm. um, and and the methods that are going to be employed which are in some sense going to, that the domain and the methods going to be in some way constitutive for philosophy I just think that that's going to be um, a function of, of, of social and historical practices. Mm. Now, I don't also think, it doesn't also follow from that that, oh, well, philosophy is just up in the air and it's just mm. kind of, it, oh, it's all like some relativist morass and that, you know, we're not, there's no, there's nothing like, that couldn't conceivably be called progress within philosophy. I don't think mm. that follows from that. Would you agree with the statement that whilst there can't be right answers, there can be wrong answers in philosophy? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so even alongside that very kind of historicist kind of, I've been pushing this kind of historicist mm. kind of um, agenda in certain respects, and also thinking that, as I said, I think that sociologists and historians 
for example, maybe amongst others, would have very interesting things to say about mm. what philosophy is. It's not just us. Mm. Um, Do you think its meaning has changed a lot through the course mm, of history? Well, it has, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, in, in order to see that, I mean, one of the courses that we teach reading philosophy, um, my understanding at least, I haven't actually taught on that course, but my understanding mm. of it is that it's aimed at trying to, ref- it's kind of a, starting with a metaphilosophical um, approach, which is just to say, reflecting a second order reflection on some particular practice, practice being mm. the writing and reading of philosophy. And it's really interesting if you look at what one of the things they're doing is looking at different texts mm. over different periods of time. And, and philosophy has changed radically. Mm. Uh, now, the reasons for those changes are extremely complex from um, like... In, in increases, you know, well, changes in, or you might say, let's put it slightly more neutrally, developments mm. in philosophical practice. So a classic one is going to be logic. So you know the cha- you know the developments. There's there's clear developments in our logical practices from you know Aristotelian style logic through to our kind of contemporary kind of post-Fragaean logic, mm. and that's going to change the way that philosophy looks. Insofar as you're employing logic. And that's an explicit part of a paper, let's say, mm. that's going to change how it looks. If you look at, you know, if you look at the way that Kant writes to the way that Wittgenstein's Tractatus looks mm. to the way that a contemporary analytic paper or yeah. a contemporary um, kind of continental paper, it, I mean, that's another issue. The do, you think it's, analytic. do you think it's easier to track the changes within analytic philosophy compared to continental philosophy? Um, well, I mean, technically speaking, um, analytic philosophy is very young. Hmm. Um, it might be worth actually just if yeah, you so, the change. Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, again, a complex kind of, of uh, phenomenon within philosophy. But speaking quite broadly for those people that hmm. aren't aware of this, um, one way that you can kind of very, this is going to be very broad brushstroke history hmm. of philosophy, But one way that you can kind of think about uh, developments in philosophy is kind of a trajectory um, in Enlightenment philosophy. So we have like certain key players, people might be aware of them, the empiricists and the rationalists. And in in the later Enlightenment period, um, just before we move into a kind of romantic stage, um, you you got this big player kind of camp. Um, well, Kant is a big player, and um, I don't know why I'm using these players. Like, anyway, I quite like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the it's team, like Kant, Kant's captain <laughs> yeah. at this point. It's a Monty Python. Yeah, yeah, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so anyway, yes, it is. It is a Monty. It's Benny Hill, is what it is. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. So and. Kant kind of inaugurated, one of the things that Kant inaugurates is is a really explicit program of self-critique about what the scope and possibilities for philosophy are. And um, and also, um, a, a certain, you know, this, this is kind of controversial in terms of Kant scholarship, but mm. let's just say some kind of scepticism towards some kind of metaphysics, mm. where, again, if people don't know what that means, so... Metaphysics, just very broadly construed, is um, inquiry into the nature of um, reality. Mm. 
And um, it's certainly been um, an historical point that uh, philosophers have thought from their armchair, a priori, i.e. by pure thought alone, they can inquire into the nature of reality and, and kind of come back with truths mm. about that, about the nature of reality. And Kant, in very complex way, was kind of sceptical about that as, as an activity. Um, now, the thing is that, again, for slightly complex reasons about Kant, you can kind of start to tr get two paths um, that um, emerge from from Kant. You can kind of go. So one way that Kant you can kind of take Kant is a focus on on subjectivity mm -hmm. and the nature of subjectivity, and that the nature of subjectivity is such that it comes with certain kinds of constraints, um, and that in and moreover that those constraints that we're definitely kind of colouring the world in a particular kind of way, that, it's, that the world comes to us in a mediated fashion. And really what we should be doing is looking at, therefore, if we want to kind of know things, we need to kind of, at the very least, be aware of, of these mediations, of, of, how the, of how we kind of filter and, and in some senses reconstruct the world. Um, for us, and so our knowledge-making practices are, in a certain sense, a function of of our kind of cognitive nature. Mm. Um, so you get this kind of quite subjective um, kind of trajectory. Another trajectory is to say, well, look, let's let's batten down the hatches. Let's see what we can kind of um, let's kind of focus philosophy in particular ways. Let's look at the way in which we judge. Let's look at at our knowledge-making practices. How do we construct judgments? How do we um, use concepts. How do we, th um, you know, uh, how do we think logically and and, and rationalize? And those are kind of two trajectories. And then again, jumping forward. Now, in actual fact, people like Russell and Moore, um, they came out of this German idealist tradition that uh, Kant was part of, um, but they would come to reject it. So you say, okay, so analytic philosophy is a rejection of yeah. of this kind of German idealism. Um, that's an interesting question, actually, actually because um, some philosophers actually think, well, yes, there's, there's, there's a decisive break in some sense, particularly with German, uh, sorry, with British idealism, which was quite Hegelian. But still, there was uh, this kind of there is a kind of burgeoning focus on judgment, on language that's kind of present in Kant, mm. um, and that this kind of sets an, um, an analytic agenda. So, what the analytic philosophers were thinking of doing is. Um, there was an increasing over, like, as what came to be known as analytic philosophy developed, there was an increasing interest in, in language and increasing distrust of metaphysics and increasing attachment to scientific practice, scientific methodology. Um, and philosophy became quite quietistic, arguably, mm. um, in that period. It's, it became increasingly suspicious of its old questions and its old uh, the, the the scope and possibility of the of its inquiries and what sort of answers it can come back with, um, what we should really be doing is analysing concepts, dispelling self-generated philosophical confusions, mm -hmm. and paving the way for proper rigorous scientific analysis mm -hmm. of the nature of the world. This is one trajectory in capital A analytic philosophy. 
Okay. Oh, that's one trajectory in flight. The other one is to go, arguably, then you go, you keep up with this subjective kind of um, way of thinking about things. Um, and you go towards phenomenological schools, and this is kind of pushing towards a kind of continent, mm. so-called continental um, school, which is well, Kant was on Kant, Descartes and Kant in in quite singular ways were onto something when they were thinking mm. knowledge starts from the self, and and we we have some privileged knowledge about the self. Let's kind of uh, really explore that, and. And then you've got a really complex stylistic difference. Mm. Um, if you identify what's continental and what's analytic by the writing style, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, this I mean, this is really controversial stuff. And you ask most yeah. people that do philosophy, they, they might um and ah to some extent about what I'm saying, mm. um, which is fair enough. Um, yeah. Personally, I think that there is a stylistic difference, um, but it's certainly not what it used to be. I mean, for a start, like, stylistic, it's, it's also a self, it's a construction that analytic philosophy is, is clear and rigorous. Hmm. Um, there are great analytic classics of analytic philosophy um, that are very very difficult I think yeah. like Russell's on denoting that's, I think that's oh, yeah. a hard piece of it philosophy hard. to read yeah, it's an um, and it certainly doesn't look like it doesn't look like something mm. you're going to get in a contemporary mm. analytic uh, journal and that kind of gets fudged there's a kind of a self-presentation mm. from and I, I'm not partisan here because I do both like mm. or at least I'm involved in both mm. continental and analytic philosophy if you were teaching aesthetics for example yeah. would you have to teach it using a continental method or could you Teaching no. it with an analytic one. The, the, yeah, there's um, you, aside from preferences of what I would want to do there. Mm. Um, no, I mean there's there's plenty of um, obviously aesthetics is a huge part of continental philosophy because mm. following that that trajectory from phenomenology and then you've got um, you've got the critical theory school um, going on at the same time as the phenomenological school of Husserl and Heidegger is uh, developing. And then you've also got the kind of take up of Caesarian semantics. You've got the take up of uh, for, you know psychoanalysis. Um, so you've got structuralisms, then leading into post structuralism, and then by the time you get to like you know the the kind of contemporary landscape, um, one way that you can understand uh, an end game, as it were, of a certain kind of continental philosophy is as the um, aestheticization of mm. philosophy that really what we've got is appearances and the qualities mm. of appearances in some sense or other yeah. Um, so yeah on the, on the one hand that's um, that's a huge part of aesthetics but, it's, but then there's you know, you know there's a, a kind of aesthetics which sounds very analytic like oh can we give the necessary and sufficient conditions for something counting as an artwork mm. um, and they're different approaches, um, and they have, they look different. Mm. So it's not a clear divide in any way. No, and this is the other thing. So, um, analytic philosophy these days, if it's anything, is probably more stylistic, mm. um, because certainly the kind of what you might say the traditional programs of certainly early Wittgenstein and the logical positivists. Um, I mean, they don't. That kind of conceptual analysis, well, 
certainly still goes on mm. in some sense or other. Doesn't there? There are people that um, are stylistically analytic uh, who would definitely want to um, would be very skeptical of anything like. So, for example, like um, uh, just somebody that I know about, John Heil, who's a contemporary metaphysician, mm. and one of the things that he grumbles about is what he calls picture theory um, of um, of philosophy and of language, where basically we're kind of representing the world. Um, with our um, arti- with our uh, in, in, in sentences or judgments, whatever mm. you want to say, our meaning bearing uh, entities are, um, and so you could kind of say, well, we can just kind of we can read off states of affairs from how we represent the world, and what we should really be concerned with then is is um, the rep- is, is the concepts that are involved in those representations. He's mm. kind of um, that could be a quite analytic way of approaching things, and he's. He's certainly analytic stylistically, but he, he's um, reticent about that as a program. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, people such as myself that are somewhat stylistically analytic, but work on continental philosophy. Yeah. And there are certainly, um, and there are certainly content. I mean, Judith Butler, who's um, picked out as she's um, an extremely important philosopher. Um, but you know she engages with Kripke. She, you know, Kripke's mm. an um, an important part, you know, a very significant part of the analytic tradition. Um, so I mean, I'm not sure. And certainly, even with the stylistic differences, there's certainly something to be rigorous in continental philosophy, and there's something to be rigorous in analytic philosophy. But also, again, from a sociological point of view, or something like a sociological point of view, is intra- I mean, rigor is not a transparent notion. Hmm. It's not something that kind of just fell out of the sky, and is is it itself what counts as rigor. Um, what counts as a form of a reason? What counts as a form of an argument? These are these are socio-historical phenomena as yeah. well. Yeah. To someone who has never studied philosophy before, how would you best describe what a philosophical question is as opposed to any other question you ask? Well, I think well, this is one of the things about philosophers is that you know you stick them in an empty room and you'll have two arguments. I mean, mm. like. One of the things that I like about philosophy is that I can be philosophical. You know, I mean, one of the things for me is um, philosophy is uh, an existential enterprise. Mm. And what I mean by that is not necessarily existentialist and kind of that being a school of philosophy that takes what I'm about to say very seriously, has very particular kinds of answers about that. But I think that philosophy is... As going back to what we were saying right at the start, it's we're in the world, mm. <laughs> and the world and ourselves is a complex, dynamic, um, fascinating, compelling, and confusing place. Mm. And so everyone is is more or less interested mm. in, in in the fact that things are dynamic, confusing, compelling. Yeah. 
Um, Very difficult not to be. Yeah. Um, now, the question is, if you're kind of become a philosopher, the likelihood is that you're very interested. Yeah. You're just, this is a natural disposition. And so the existential point is to say that, for me, philosophy is, I have a very romantic, old-fashioned view in mm. one sense. So it's, it's meaning of life stuff. But not where that meaning of life question or answer is going to like be discontinuous with our lived experience, but rather... Mm it's embroiled within it and a function of it mm. um, and so my for, just speaking for myself my own philosophical practice is really a, a very privileged um, opportunity to engage with those questions in an organised fashion where I have space to be able to do mm. that in an institutional setting and how um, do you know when you've solved that if a problem in philosophy if you pose a question <laughs> Lots of people have lots of different answers. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. So there's one way that uh, philosophers will evaluate a theory is whether it's kind of like inter internally coherent. So we'll be looking for um, are there inconsistencies in it um, or is it consistent with things that we don't want it, some mm. model we yeah. don't want it to be consistent with. Um, there'll be... Um, how will be evaluate tend to evaluate um although this is controversial as well um our philosophical answers against common sense so mm. you um they usually people assume that they should align with common sense to a great degree yeah i mean as i say this is this is actually a, a significant issue in philosophy mm. uh, but certainly, and um, it's one way that um, people might be inclined to evaluate. If you know you inquire into some particular phenomenon, and if it comes out that it's just radically at odds with common sense, mm. it might suggest that there's something wrong with the answer about it. That's weird, though, because in physics, for example, and quantum mechanics, yeah. almost everything is completely at odds with common sense, and yet, yeah, absolutely. and yet we still have to accept it. Yeah. So why why is philosophy different in that regard? Yeah, so, well, that's, I mean, it, it, one of the parts of where this wrangle emerges about common sense is over the, I think, over metaphysics and the relationship of metaphysics to science. Mm. And depending on how you jump about that, you're going to probably have different roles or different significance for common sense. Mm. Um, so it's not that it's the case that, um, that it's significantly different. And in actual fact, some philosophers would myself included actually i'm i'm have modest realist kind of inclinations mm. um so I, th I think that there's no reason to think that the way that um you know the fundamental phenomena how that turns out to be is radically at odds with what we expect it to be mm. and likewise it might turn out that what things could count as an object mm. Um, turn out to be radically different to how we might commonsensically think of an object, let's mm. say. And that's a dis the, the latter question certainly could converge with science, for, just as an aside, mm. but it's also got a distinct, distinctly um, philosophical feel to it, that question. Mm. Um, what are objects? Um, and that's something that interests me, because, for example, so I have a view of objects which is maybe... Um, Surprising from mm. a commonsensical point of view. So for a start, I think that um, objects, as is, is, is said in the metaphysical jargon, I think that they co-locate mm. so that you can have more than one object in the space, same spatio-temporal location. Now, 
probably I would suspect that the commonsensical view about objects is that they're spatio-temporally exclusive. Mm, yeah. Um, but that, but, but then, so that then you're in the game. You're thinking, right? Okay. So, well, why is that? Why do you think that they're spatio-temporally exclusive? Well, you might think that that's because all objects are concreter, mm. and insofar as uh, something's a, uh, a concrete object, well, you might you might understand concrete objects in terms of spatio-temporal exclusivity. Mm. So it's going to fall out of that definition of a concrete object. Mm. Concrete, I suppose by questioning yeah. why your intuitions are what they exactly, are, you yeah. can get a lot of answers that way. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm quite happily to modally differentiate objects. Um, mm. So this is getting slightly more technical. So to yeah. give you an example, like um, a statue and a lump, this is kind of mm. classic um, in, in metaphysics. And you say, well, like, um, clearly we've got one putative object in front of us mm. the statue or the the thing that uh, you know the, the the bronze statue um now um you might think that um well they're the statue and the thing that it's composed of are identical after all there's just one thing in front of us mm. i mean and this kind of plays to the exclusivity thought um, we've got material a statue and yeah. the statue and the lamp are just the same the thing okay. yeah um, yeah and um, so you, yeah you might think right okay so they're, they're identical but one way that, of thinking about identity is like I mean philosophers tend to take identity very seriously um, well there's an analytic way and there's hmm. arguably continental ways of thinking about identity going back to Hegel and the latter but anyway um, analytic philosophy is going to say look if if a and b, object a and or object a and object b turn out to be identical, then anything that's true of a better be true of b. Mm. Um, or another way of thinking about it is every property of a better be a property of b. But the thing is uh, with the statue and the lump, um, well, it seems as though they do pull apart. And um, so it's true of the lump that we can melt it down. Mm. Um, and let's not worry about the, 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 the scientific niceties here. Maybe it loses some, um, you know, parts um, yeah. through the heating process. But let's say that we can do this and it just, um, it just turns into a different shape. Well, we've clearly lost the statue there. Mm. So it, it's, it's true of the, the lump that it can change shape, but it's not true of the statue that it can change shape. And conversely, um, let's say that we can hollow out uh, the statue but as long as we maintain the outside shape, mm. let's say we're happy to say that that's still um, the same statue, but we certainly lost the lump. The mm. lump was a particular mass, it was a particular volume, and now it's not that. So, well, if we think that identity is going to be strict and that, that you know, the truths and the properties better be, uh, co-vary, and they better be the same rather, uh, mm. then, you know, uh, that, that looks as though they're different, they're different things. Well. Some people would say, well, that's just too weird. Mm. Like, now, what, so we've got, like, are they ghost objects? Are we double-counting these objects? We've got one material thing. We know this much. Um, or are they, oh, now do we have to have abstract objects? And, like, you know, so mm. you can't... Uh, it's not inventing new things. Yeah, so, um, so you might think, well, we've, we've, got to, we've got to dissolve this. Mm. We've got to get around this. Or you go, or you bite the bullet mm. in some way, and you say, actually, it turns out that objects are propertied entities and if we think about properties in a particular kind of way maybe they do come apart mm. and then there's a surprising fact about objects now mm. 
that, that's just a very quick kind of example. I, yeah. And I don't want, yeah. I, I have a view about that, but mm. like, you know, that's a, a way that. Do you think, going back to just philosophy yeah. in more general, a lot of people's criticisms of philosophy are that you can't measure any sort of progression in the way that you can in the sciences. Mm. Would you agree with that? Would you say that? No, there isn't any sort of philosophical progress. I think that's that's false on two counts. One, it's false. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that the thought that we just simply haven't. Um, f- I mean, it's certainly a comp. Well, I, okay, so I'm saying false in this very kind mm. of like religious, like yeah. belligerent way. <laughs> so say it seems like you only need one if that's the case. <laughs> well, uh, there's one where it's kind of brute, where mm. um, where you however you think of like progression I, I want to say mm. something like however you think of progression it's mm. just not the case that we haven't um, improved our methods or gotten somewhere mm. um, and f- for example um, I mean, logic again just because it's easy um, we've certainly um, improved in some sense or other um, our logical methodology um and and that the the kind of gains made by philosophers have had um, a significant and positive impact mm. on other disciplines there computer science is not yeah now, the, the, so that's one thing but the other the, the more the, that that's also in some sense slightly less interesting the more interesting one is the second thing to say well look what are you expecting philosophy to do and that is a first of all, it's a philosophical question about what you expect philosophy to do and the sorts of answers it's supposed to be delivering. Mm. And this, but I think that there's a few things here. First of all, let's even assume that um, uh, philosophy can um, engage with a historical phenomena. Let's say that there really are abstractor like the numbers mm. or yeah. something. Let's say that they're abstractor and that numbers are abstractor. Um, and then we do metaphysical... Presumably, they're not changing that. Um, and we can do some met- metaphysical inquiry about those. Now, just because um, the, the subject matter doesn't change, it doesn't follow that um, either the, the, the kind of the inquiry or the methods of inquiry won't change. And just because methods of inquiry doesn't change or that we can't we can't know for certain that we've kind of nailed the answer that we haven't made progress that doesn't Mm. follow it might be the case but it doesn't follow um but more to the point i think that a lot of what philosophy inquires into um is dynamic in in a way that and changing Mm. in a way that is not it's inappropriate to ask of it that it's in order for us to consider it to have progressed that it should be able to produce a historical answers that are not going to change in the mm. future and that its methods are not going to change in the future. Sort of paradigm well, breaking. Yeah, things. well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the phenomena that we're engaged with, um, a, a vast swathe of it is dynamic and is changing. We need, we ought to be responsive as mm. philosophers to the changing nature of our subject matter. Mm. Um, and what might be a good way of approaching something at some point might change in the future Mm. um plus as well i mean then there's just an epistemological question of even if that's not true even if you think that that's you don't like that i mean it should it should be incumbent upon the philosopher to be able to prove i mean as i say as a point of epistemology Mm. that we're able to prove 
that we're right in whatever we think. Mm. That's not the right way to measure yeah, progress. I mean, it just, yeah, that's, that's not how I think about justification from an epistemological point of view. Uh, mm. It's not how I think about knowledge-making practices. And it's something that we don't hold scientists to either. No. There's um, not an easy way to say how technology is progressed in a well, better or worse way. And by the same token, I don't want to throw baby out with the bathwater there and then just say, well, it's just a morass. There's no mm. progress. Um, I just think that the, 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 the issue is just much more complex than that. Mm. And the, the idea that we just... that Oh, well, philosophy is still going. Well, yes. Mm. <laughs> We're still going. Like, yeah. it's a human activity. Um, and Do you think there could be... Could you give an example of something, an event in philosophy, in the study of philosophy in the future, which could happen where someone could say, that's a problem solved with philosophy? Or could you give an example of a problem that has been solved in philosophy? Well, in a, in a certain sense, um, again, I'm going to, just for ease, talk in rather broad brushstrokes here. Mm. But um, a classic one is logical positivism which, um, as I was, uh, mentioned it earlier, like, so this is kind of a view about the meaningfulness, well, part is, is some of what's involved in this, is a view about the meaningfulness of, 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 um, of, of, of different kinds of sentences, which involve different kinds of vocabularies. And one of the principal claims is that... Um, in order for a sentence to be meaningful, it needs to be empirically respectable. Um, mm. we, we'd need to know about how we'd go about proving that and prove, and it, or demonstrating that rather from an empirical point of view. Um, and part of what um, the, the logical positivists were trying to do was trying to align philosophy with scientific practice in a particular kind of way. Um, and... I mean, this is slightly unfair on the logical positivists, but again, just for ease, one of the problems that emerged from that as a research program, put it that way, was that it became very, very difficult to articulate this as a, um, um, a methodological practice um, in a way which wouldn't result in it, being, it itself being meaningless. Mm. Because you, could, you couldn't demonstrate... Um, the principle that all sentences, in order for them to be meaningful, must be, um, we must know how to empirically demonstrate um, that it's the case. Hmm. That's not something that we can do with that principle. Now, it's much more complex. In actual fact, there are, problem, there are logical problems. There, and there's also some very weird um, kind of uh, results that actually come out of that and how we construe the kind of science... The, the, ultimately kind of scientific come um, empiricist um, sentences that this this theory was supposed to kind of validate. Mm. Um, it came out with some very weird results. So certainly that as a traditional program is one that emerged, not willfully by philosophers, like that was not unreasonably seen as, oh, well, this is an advance. Um, and it's an advance that was in step with the times. Mm. Um, but it, was, it, it proved to be problematic. And this was, you know, the people that were involved in it as well were extremely smart people. And they, mm. they, 
they were uh, they saw a lot of the problems themselves with their own program. So it's a complete misconception to think that philosophical problems are by their nature unanswerable. Yeah. Yeah. I, Again, but I just want to know more about what people expect when they expect an answer. Mm. I mean, I mean, this is really interesting, um, I think, about, um, again, more sociologically, about something like a sociological point here, about what sort of form we expect mm. to consume our knowledge in mm. at a social level. Like, how do we, in, in terms of public discourse... How do we give and take reasons? What, what, what counts as both a good reason, but as a reason that's exchangeable um, in, in a kind of public forum? And I think mm -hmm. that um, philosophy is in a really tricky position here mm -hmm. because for a number of reasons. One, um, everyone, as we've already established, is in some sense or other a philosopher. Mm -hmm. So for any kind of philosophical issue that makes it into the public domain or anything that's already in the public domain which has some sort of uh, philosophical di dimension to it or way that we can approach it, such as science, for example, mm -hmm. um, people might th uh, go, well, look, I'm a f I can think. You know, mm -hmm. I think about things. And, and what gives you the right as a philosopher to come and, you know, kind of wade in over yeah. the top of everyone else? The other thing is that, um, th as has been made a lot of the philosophers, and there's, there's certainly some, it's fair to level this criticism about philosophy, um, that we, you know, we have this quite technical way of approaching things. Mm. And then there's a question about how necessary that technicality is yeah. um, and how much use it does. And then just from the point of view of communication, mm. like let's even assume that like it is necessary. Well, how do we communicate? Mm. Um, it does seem ideas? necessary because I thought that, I initially thought that one of the problems with philosophy is that we have so many isms mm, and mm. all this technical language and perhaps doing this podcast I thought that we could kind of bring it back to basics but as mm. soon as you get into any topic mm. you have to use technical yeah. vocabulary otherwise you don't really but get anywhere thing, yeah absolutely the th the, what I want to say is that it is a technical you know there mm. is something that is a philosophical expertise mm. and I'm not, it doesn't follow from that that the philosophers those people who are capital P philosophers mm. are the best at this um, or a right in virtue of doing philosophy, but nevertheless, the what we're um, th what we're trying to understand is complex enough that it requires technical expertise. Yeah, and all philosophers are trying to do, amongst many other disciplines, is trying to develop um, methods by which we can we can engage with this very complex phenomena, mm. is the world and reality yeah. and ourselves, etc. In a way that's appropriate to that uh, complexity, mm. but the thing is that the, the problem then is that our engagement in a public forum. I mean, one thing that's interesting to note is that philosophers have not been anywhere near as successful um, as scientists, for example, mm. um, uh, for not only conveying um, what they're doing. Um, but also establishing um, their kind of cultural capital as 
um, authorities about knowledge. Mm. Um, now, this is a hugely complex um, mm. and controversial. It's like Brian Cox and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and is there uh, a philosophical equivalent? Do you think? No, I, no, I mean there are. Well, I mean, this is interesting again, sociologically. In mm. England, not certainly not so much. We probably got Alan de Botton, mm. like Julian Bagini. Um, but yeah, there aren't mm. many. Most uh, people wouldn't have heard of their yeah. names. Um, if you go to um, uh, France, certainly the idea of the public intellectual who is more mm. likely to be, if not a philosopher, certainly from the humanities and certainly going to be versed in philosophy. Mm. That's a more common kind of... And that, that's something interesting, a culturally interesting thing. Mm. Um, but the thing, one of the things... So, But why is it? Why is it that science has established itself? Well, the, the obvious quick answer is to say, well, because science has overtaken philosophy as, mm. as the, our principal knowledge-making activity. Um, mm. both in terms of its success and this goes back to you know what what the idea of progress etc um, would you agree with that that science has overtaken philosophy no. it's um, I think that science has proven itself to be one of our probably our, yeah in a, in a certain sense it has proven to be our most successful epistemic activity mm. Um and and this is one of the reasons why I think it's established its social capital is because um, it, it can demonstrate that success. Does mm. science work well? Uh, well, we're you know yeah. the products of science Quite are sitting clear. all around us, mm. um, and it's clearly the case that philosophy, for example, is just a, you know another kind of another discipline. We can't do that. Mm. Um, but the one of the interesting things is that, uh, and I certainly don't want to deny that. I'm like I'm certainly not <laughs> skeptic. No. I'm not. Um, I'm not scientific. I don't want to reduce all quests. So my kind of like no answer there was just I don't want. I don't think that all all questions could be answered by science. Mm. No, I don't even reducible. think that's intelligible. Um, mm. And. And I think that that would be inappropriate demand to make of science, scientific practice. And I'm talking mm. about science here, but science is a really complex phenomenon in its mm. own right. Um, and um, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, uh, science is, is for me is a set of, a complex set of normative practices which are. Whether that they amount to an homogenous kind of mm. discipline it is again a complex issue in its own right. Yeah, I, I I'm not equipped to answer that. But the thing is that um, for philosophy, what's one of the things that's interesting about science or, or the the kind of reception of science, I think, and this is just off the top of my head. I don't know. Mm. I don't research on this, um, but it's the fact that. Because it, um, it, clearly, it clearly works in some sense. It's clearly successful in some sense. And, and rightly so to be understood in that way. And when, you know, I read the popular science books, um, I'm very interested. Um, and I think it's incredible and amazing um, what we're being told. Like I read The Elegant Universe, mm. it totally blew my mind. I thought it was an incredible book. Um, but I'm not a scientist. I can't evaluate that. Mm. I can't... Um, that what the scientists have done an extremely good job, and I mean this wholeheartedly, of, um, of presenting 
their findings, as it were, to us in, in a digestible form. But I don't think as a consumer of that that I'm in a position to evaluate it. Mm. I, I still feel that the expertise lies with, and rightly so, it lies mm. with, they are experts in this area. I am not. And, and, and the structure of authority there is very much kind of like towards them. It doesn't also follow from that fact, though, that um, philosophers and indeed other people in the humanities have nothing to say about the sciences. Mm. Um, and that what sciences and what its goals are are just, again, it would be hubristic mm. of the scientists to think that what science is and its self-evaluation mm. is just a matter for itself. Do you think a philosopher would have more authority than a scientist in terms of metaphysics? Um, oh, that's a really... <laughs> that's a kind of worms. I mean, I just want to finish this one point. Okay. That, yeah. um, and maybe we'll come back to that. But... Um, I just what I want to say is that I'm really interested in this kind of idea of authority and um, over a philosophical issue because people can genuinely claim to be philosophers in some sense they are philosophers in some sense or other and whilst the the methods of expertise and the, the, well the, the subject matter is not it's not esoteric like in the way so what do you think you know about black holes well (laughs) nothing that a scientist you know I've got nothing to say about that but people have something to say about ethics and rightly Mm. so they're involved in 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 that that's important to them they will have thoughts about ethics and so it's it's, so in terms of I guess everyone has first hand experience with ethics but not with black holes and the deference that people would have towards philosophers about mm. that is, is nowhere near the same and rightly so mm. but the thing is it doesn't follow from that fact that the philosophers haven't developed like quite complex and, and quite useful mm. and quite incisive modes of analysis the problem is that we can't just report that back as in like a digestible form that people mm. are just going to go oh right yeah okay mm. they've sorted it out yeah. I just hear what they've got to say about it no and rightly so because people do own ethics they do mm. have an involvement in that so we have a very different in, in terms of like trying to kind of it goes it's going back to your earlier point about like what people make of what we do mm. and how we kind of establish our cultural our social and cultural and intellectual capital mm. we, I, th- I think that philosophers are in a very tricky situation from that point of view mm. um, plus as well um in terms of how we consume information and we consume theories, I, I think that there's no easy way to package it up. If you want to know about what the philosopher thinks about ethics, they're going to do some ethics. Mm. like, And that's going to be, right, you best sit down because I'm going to be here for an hour or so. Yeah. So I kind of unpack. Yes, you might think that it's straightforward in this kind of way, but... And you, you have to understand that. the argument, yeah, whereas and, in science you can exactly. just see the result. Yeah, and, and, and accept it, because mm. unless you're a scientist, you, you're not really in a position to kind of evaluate it. Mm. No, I mean, you've obviously got very informed lay people, um, but I'm, and I'm not one of them. Um, so I just think that, I mean, this is a difficulty that I think that uh, philosophy has. Yeah. It has, that it has socially in establishing itself, and also when you, in just an appropriate level, when you're involved in conversations with people, because it's a very diffuse activity, it's a very complex activity, 
and it's both very familiar to people and mm. it's very esoteric at the same time yeah. and trying to kind of establish that and explain how that works is, mm. is very very difficult absolutely did you want to go back to that point on metaphysics yeah well okay so <laughs> all, all i want to say is that that i mean that's philosophers themselves have very very different kind of views about that some mm. philosophers are going to say look um they're going to be very scientific about it mm. Regardless of like, you know, uh, kind of uh, your kind of cultural level questions, I'm just going to say, look, when it comes to whatever fundamental reality consists in, um, the only game in town is science. Mm. And if you want to do metaphysics, fine. But um, the, it, it's basically just the metaphysics for science. So mm. it's classic kind of handmaiden of science kind of okay. stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you go down that route, then it just stands to reason that the philosopher, at the very least, better understand the science. Mm. Um, and it could also be that, well, because there's no reason that the scientists can't be philosophers, and they are. Like, mm. they are philosophers in the small p sense, just like as everyone else is. Um, and they may also be uh, the best philosophers mm. and to talk about. But the thing is that they will need to, I think that there is something that they, they will need to be philosophers as well as scientists if they want to talk about certain aspects of scientific practice. I see. Yeah. Um, but then there's other philosophers who want to say, no, absolutely not. No, there's, there's still something that's a priori metaphysics, that it's not beholden to science. Um, certainly, um, where, if science and metaphysics comes apart, then there's going to be a really interesting burden of proof mm. as to like who owes who an explanation as to mm. why that's come apart. But um, there, it's just yeah, jury's out, and this this is a really kind of this is a hot topic in contemporary metaphysics mm. um, about how to do it from a meta metaphysical point of view. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. There you go. That's <laughs> a good bit of jargon. But the thing is that like you know. Um, that goes back to, to Kant in some way as well. Like, can we do metaphysics? And mm. if we can do metaphysics, what does that metaphysics look like? Mm. Um, and that's really... Do you like think it's best of in all of these areas of philosophy? Is it, would it be best, do you think, to set out the structure and work out what's the best way to conduct it beforehand? Or is that something that's only discovered through doing it? Well, I'm inclined to say the latter. Mm. Um, and that's something also about yeah the way that um i see kind of what i'm most interested in about philosophy which mm. is kind of comes from critical theory and critical practice but um yeah i, I think that it's going to be responsive to um, the, the the subject matter mm. but there's, there's going to be like a feedback mechanism between those two things i would have thought mm. um, so we're running out of time a little bit. So sorry, yeah, no, it's just fine. Been talking a long We've time. got three listeners' questions. Okay. So right. <laughs> the first one is from Alec, right? Who asks, um, "Can studying philosophy actually help you in your own life to any tangible effect?" <laughs> yeah, it can make you really unhappy. <laughs> um, <laughs> First-hand experience. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't do it if it, I. All I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to speak for myself here. Yes. And it, I wouldn't do it if it, if it didn't. Um, and this goes back to what I wanted to say earlier about the existential side of things. Even if you know, we don't have this romantic, a somewhat romantic conception of um, philosophy as a study of meaning of life, and we're going to get some grand answer about that, um, I do it because I find I, the world strikes me as compelling, 
and in need of understanding in particular ways and certainly philosophy has, has helped me to make sense of the world mm. um, it's also made it extremely confusing and it's it is it can be stressful because um, the other thing that I, I can't speak for uh, people in other subjects but certainly in philosophy it does philosophy doesn't go away I think that it's a form of, of living as well mm. um, and once you start on a philosophical path unless you kind of become quietistic and you just think philosophy can't answer the, um, these sorts of questions or it can't help us it's kind of it, it becomes a way in which you kind of engage with the world mm. in total um, but yeah I mean I can't say that I've sorted things out but I have through doing philosophy I have a way that I think about the world mm-hmm. and that is definitely as a result of my philosophical studies as ways that I want to think and not just about abstract kind of questions about the nature of objects mm-hmm. like what I think um, a human is what I think the relationship between humans are what I think um, how I understand gender for example mm-hmm. these are these are as a result of these are yeah my, my studies mm. so a related question to this is from Thomas mm. he says a lot of the episodes that we've done on the podcast are quite um, beyond its depth which is mm. unfortunate but mm. um, he says do we actually need philosophy and do we gain anything from it as just a, a regular person do you think that they need philosophy in their lives well as I said um, I think that they have philosophy in their lives whether they like it or kind not of, kind of like yeah <laughs> But that's not, I mean, there is, that's, that is a good question, and it's um, a relevant question. I suppose the more substantial, uh, the substantial way to think about that is that, do we need, does the person that doesn't do philosophy in, you know, that isn't themselves a capital P philosopher, mm. do, do they need the people out there who are, and mm. do they benefit from that? Um, I think that, I personally think that they do, I mean... Whether this is a good thing or not, the answer is that they certainly that philosophy does impact on people. Um, you know, the, the, I, I, I think that the Enlightenment um, period, um, it's kind of like mid seventeenth, late uh, to late eighteenth um, century. Um, that was the, the, the philosophers shaped the Enlightenment, um, and for better or worse, uh, mm. we, we still f- are feeling the effects of the Enlightenment and the way, the which, way in which we think about the world. And, and this is kind of, um, in, in kind of a, a very Western sense, I mean, so I should have actually said that, actually, all of what I'm saying is mm. f- parochial. Mm. I mean, not only is it uh, my opinion, a lot of it has just been my opinion, um, but also I'm talking about a very particular tradition of yeah. inquiry. I'm talking about uh, a largely uh, Western-centric, to use a term, which is problematic in itself. Mm. But, um, yeah, and I certainly wouldn't want to make any claims no. beyond that. But... Um, and, and, and these kind of, you know, the enlightenment, uh, the effects of that is still felt in the arts. It's still felt, you know, in, in, a, in a kind of diffuse way that 
it might not be immediately obvious the impact that uh, philosophy has had, mm. but I, I, you know, I think that it has had an impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Final question mm-hmm. is from Rachel, mm-hmm. who asks, "Do you think that philosophy could be better used as a tool in the education of young people?" So, in primary schools, mm. for example, would it be beneficial to teach the philosophical method? Well, my understanding is that there's been um, there's been studies done on this, so there's definitely going to be just a straightforward empirical kind of dimension to to this, and I I I, I don't know my understanding, but I could be completely wrong. Mm. Is that where um, some philosophical programs have been taught to um, younger children, there's been kind of some sort of quantifiable um, success, but that's I mean mm. that would you know need to actually look at the study so I'd be reticent to make any claim off the back of that um, my incl- inclination is to say yeah um, I mean one thing that um, I think that philosophy when it's pra- well at least you know the sorts of philosophy that we've kind of been uh, focusing on here um, one way that it can be very um, beneficial is when it's practiced right, is it's a collegial activity, in the sense that it's it's a shared activity where we together try and understand the the world around us, and that and why I think that's important is that just starting from that position, what we're doing is we ought to then be interested in what other people think, mm. we ought to be respectful of what other people think, hear them out, be charitable. Um, and and when we're involved in offering criticism, um, that that criticism um, and that analysis is um, there's a fairness that comes with that, and that um, and an attentiveness in in dialogue and in an intellectual exchange. Do I think that philosophers even always manage that? Certainly not. Um, that's that's quite um, that's quite idealistic in one sense. But I think that that's that's something that philosophers should aim aim towards. And as kind of like an intellectual come ethical activity, I think that's that's something that would be good for anybody um, to to experience and to understand as a kind of a structure for for how they're going to kind of inquire into the world and inquire into the world with other people mm. rather than those kind of like intellectual like uh, kung fu or something yeah. like trying to kill your opponent which some philosophers themselves um, characterise philosophy as mm. I personally don't perfect Richard you've been amazing thank oh, you right. very much